Well, good evening, and I welcome to Bible study tonight. Thank you for coming out uh, or for tuning in. And, uh, last time that I spoke, we were in Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, that was two weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Matthews spoke last week, so thank you, Pastor Matthews, for speaking for me. And um, in, the, in our first study, in chapter 17, we considered the first 13 verses. And our study tonight will be from verse 14 to 18. So a very short text, and it will be more uh, devotional in nature. But I trust it will be encouraging uh, and fortifying as we learn about some lessons about engaging with a hostile culture. So let's uh, read our text, and then we'll pray. So Jeremiah chapter 17, reading from verse 14. Now heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Behold, they say unto me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee, neither have I desired the woeful day thou knowest. That which came out of my lips was right before thee. Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. Let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. So this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, please quieten our souls, remove all distractions. Please grant to us the energy to focus Help us to understand your word and courage and embolden us through it. Equip us for your work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we read uh, the Bible, especially the narrative portions, there's something very simple that we need to remember that we can often forget. Okay, and it's this. The men and women of the Bible are normal people. You know, sure, some of them are giants of the faith, they accomplished great things for the Lord, but they were normal people like you and me. You know, they had fears, weaknesses, anxieties, just like us. They felt pain when they were mocked and ridiculed, just like we do. They had insecurities, they had vulnerabilities. They were not unaffected by the things that they endured, that they did not possess some superpowers that put them into a different category compared to you and I, but rather they were normal people with the usual susceptibilities and struggles of humanity. And this is certainly true of Jeremiah. And again, we get front row seats as the man of God pours out his heart before the Lord. We see the raw emotion. We see the deep hurts that he was nursing. Now, this text is like a viewing platform that you know, enables us to get a glimpse into the inner struggles and turmoil that was raging in Jeremiah's heart. We see in verse 14 that he's pleading with the Lord to heal him. He wants the Lord to deliver him. He was injured. He was struggling. He was like the soldier who had been wounded severely in battle. But he was not wounded physically, but he was wounded emotionally and spiritually. And he needed the divine medic. Now, the text that we're considering tonight is known as the fourth of Jeremiah's so-called confessions. 
As I mentioned previously, these confessions don't seem to be publicly pronounced, but rather they are laments or prayers uttered in private by the prophets. And our text for tonight actually shares many similarities in both structure and content with the Psalms of lament. And this helps us to identify both the mood and the tone of the text before us. This is a shattered and wounded man pouring out his heart before the Lord. And the source or the catalyst of this lament is the rejection and ridicule that Jeremiah had received from the hostile culture that he was seeking to minister to as the prophet of God. So this is going to be the big idea of our study. We're going to learn five lessons from the example of Jeremiah about ministering in a hostile culture. And this is relevant for us because we're living in a time where our society is moving away from God at exponential speed. Biblical worldviews, especially morality, is increasingly opposed and it's getting opposed in a more aggressive fashion. So our culture is becoming progressively harder and more hostile toward Christianity. And hence there's much for us to glean and to appropriate from this text of scripture. So let's consider what the Lord has to teach us and may this equip and encourage us as we seek to engage and minister to a hostile people. So lesson number one, ridicule and mockery should be expected. Now Jeremiah had faithfully ministered to these people. He poured his heart out. He evidently had a great love for the people. And yet they didn't respond positively. Have you ever experienced that in your life? You've poured your heart into something. You've given it your all. And yet it isn't well received. People don't respond. It's very discouraging. And this is what the prophet is experiencing. Now it seems likely that when Jeremiah first burst onto the scene and he was preaching what we would call today hellfire and brimstone your judgment is coming you need to repent the people probably listened initially likely that they were spooked it's like whoa we don't want this to happen but the longer he ministered and no judgment came the people became less phased and then the false teachers began sowing the seeds of doubt amongst the people which reaped a crop of ridicule and mockery. Now, the people, according to verse 15, didn't believe Jeremiah. You know, try and picture it. Jeremiah, all this talk about judgments, then where is it? Why hasn't it happened? You're saying that the Lord is going to judge us. But where is it? It hasn't unfolded. Are you sure you're a true prophet? Because it seems to us that... You're speaking lies. You're all of these bold predictions and nothing has happened. Are you just trying to manipulate us? Are you trying to scare us? And as this thinking got traction, it resulted in Jeremiah being on the receiving end of widespread and constant ridicule. You know, perhaps they made names up for him and he was mocked every time he walked down the streets. He was heckled every time he preached. And this was the source of Jeremiah's wounds. He was on the receiving end of a brutal barrage of mockery. He'd been hit by countless bullets and was bleeding out. And it seems likely, 
are that the people use scripture to reinforce and to energize their smear campaign, which would have intensified the pain for Jeremiah, and perhaps it, it even caused some doubts in the inner sanctum of his heart. Now, one of the key texts for determining whether a prophet was from the Lord or not, okay, it's found in Deuteronomy 18, and the test was whether their predictions were coming true. Okay, Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22 says, If thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And you can imagine that the hostile people using this portion of scripture. Okay, Jeremiah, do you even know the Bible? Okay, you, you must be a false prophet because you're saying all of this stuff and it's not coming to pass. Okay, all of this talk of judgment, where is it? We're fine. We're having a great old time. Okay, we think you're going crazy. And we aren't going to listen to you because the evidence says nothing that you say comes to pass. Okay, all of this judgment talk is fairy tale nonsense. And it's interesting that this same mockery and scoffing will be evident in the last days. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says this, okay, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. The idea is, okay, Christian, you're talking about the coming of Jesus. You're going on and on, but hey, he's not here. You're delusional. Stop deceiving yourself. Okay, so this is something that has always existed and it will be intensified in the final days. And hence, we ought to expect mockery and ridicule as we strive to live for Christ in a hostile culture. Okay, it ought not to surprise us when we're wounded by scoffers. Okay, well, when they say, you know, Christian, you're going crazy. When they mock our claims about hell or believing about Jesus dying on a cross for sin, we'll be ridiculed for our beliefs. We'll be ridiculed for the basis of our beliefs. You believe the Bible? You know, that, that was written thousands of years ago. That, that's old news. Get with the times. Okay, we'll be mocked. And slammed for our beliefs, particularly around gender and sexuality, our moral standards, okay, they will be the source of mockery. Okay, we're going to be ridiculed. We will be called names. People will make fun of us. Okay, this is part of the cost of following Christ. And we ought not to be shocked or surprised. Now, yes, it will hurt. Okay, Jeremiah, he was wounded deeply. Okay, it's normal to not enjoy being mocked and having nasty names hurled at you. Okay, it's horrible to be ridiculed. But it's to be expected as we endeavor to live for Christ in a culture that's hostile toward him. Okay, and here's the thing. Ridicule and mockery is actually a backhanded compliment. Okay, and here's what I mean. If we are on the receiving end, this is often a very clear indicator that our stand is having some kind of impact. Although it may not feel like that at the time. Because the Christian who is silent, okay, who says 
nothing, okay, that the Christian who just tries to blend in, they won't be ridiculed, but they'll have absolutely no impact. Okay, so when you endure this, when you endure mockery and ridicule, remember, often it's a backhanded compliment. You're having some kind of impact. Okay, but this is something that we ought to expect as we seek to engage and live for Christ in a hostile culture. The second lesson that we learn okay, is this. Don't quit in the face of hostility and intense ridicule. You know, it can be a, a very real temptation for the believer to cave into the pressure and stop taking a stand for Christ. Stop sharing the gospel in an attempt to make the ridicule and the mockery disappear. Okay, if I say nothing, that they'll be nice to me. I just, I can't take it anymore. Okay, that they win, I'm just going to be quiet. And uh, no doubt this must have entered Jeremiah's mind at his lowest points. As he nursed his deep emotional and spiritual wounds, but by God's grace, he never gave up. Notice verse 16. It says, as for me, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee. Now, this term pastor is here referring to his position of spiritual leadership. Throughout the Old Testament, the particular Hebrew word was used more often to speak of a king. Okay, but, but here, it's the office of prophet. And he's saying to the Lord, he says, Lord, I, I didn't withdraw. I didn't chuck in the towel. It's been really hard. The temptation to walk away, it was real, but I continued to do what you called me to do despite the brutal persecution can pause for a moment and try and put yourself in jeremiah's shoes you love these people you have faithfully proclaimed god's message for years and yet you're totally misunderstood that they reject everything that you say you become the brunt of the jokes you're ostracized well whenever you speak publicly you get heckled whenever you go to the markets you're mocked okay in that situation how easy and how tempting it would have been to pack up your bags and leave. I'm, I'm sick of this. I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to, you know, go and climb a mountain. I'm going to live my days out up there. That must have been a real temptation. And yet Jeremiah remained faithful and he didn't throw in the towel. And this is the example for you and I. Okay, there, there will be times when we think, if I just compromise on this issue, it will make my life so much easier. Okay, if I just go to the party, if I say nothing about abortion or homosexuality, if I just don't share the gospel, if I remain silent when people attack the Bible, it's going to make my life so much easier. Okay, they'll just leave me alone. That will be a real temptation. But understand this. When we quit, when we withdraw, and when we remain silent, Satan wins. Okay, Satan wins. Because he's made another one of Jesus' disciples ineffective. Okay, and that's his goal. Okay, you know, his cross that we're not on his team anymore, we're on team Jesus. So he goes about ensuring that we're ineffective as Jesus' disciple. Okay, that's his goal. He wants us to throw in the towel. That's his whole purpose of attacking Christians with ridicule. So don't give Satan the victory. Okay, pray, persevere, cling to Christ. That's how the opposition of ridicule or mockery is overcome. You know, we will be faced with 
brutal mockery and ridicule if we strive to live for Christ. If we take a stand, but may we not quit, but rather cling to Christ, remembering that he was ridiculed and mocked throughout his entire earthly ministry, but particularly as he hung on the cross. And if Jesus was willing to endure that ridicule and that scorn for you and for me, then ought not we be willing to endure it for him. Okay, don't give up in the face of intense mockery and ridicule, but by God's grace, persevere for Christ's sake and don't let Satan win. Lesson number three. We shouldn't be delighted or find pleasure in communicating judgment. You know, in verse 16, as Jeremiah pours his heart out, he says, neither have I desired the woeful day. Lord, you know my heart. Okay, there's nothing in me that's thrilled about this message of doom and gloom that I'm preaching. You know, I'm not some sadist that, that gets a thrill about people being brutally destroyed. Okay, this is something that, that shatters Jeremiah. It doesn't cause him delights. And perhaps this was one of the arrows of accusation that had been fired at Jeremiah. And as he removes the arrow and treats the wound, he's telling the Lord, Lord, you know this is not true. I'm not like they claim. Judgment is not something that thrills me. I don't want this to happen. I want them to repent. I want them to be saved. I love the people. I love the city. I love the temple. This is like a sledgehammer to Jeremiah's heart as he ponders what's going to unfold. And this says much about the character of this man and the love for the people that was flowing through him. Because humanly speaking, how easy it would have been for Jeremiah to become incredibly bitter and angry. He could have very easily walked down that dark and thorny path and become ensnared in the trap of bitterness and then begin to think these dark thoughts, you, know, you stubborn people, I'm sick of you. How dare you treat me like this? I have preached and preached and preached and you just keep rejecting me. Well, guess what? God's going to get you. God's going to smash you and I don't care. I can't wait until he tears this place apart like a thief ransacking a house looking for money. I'm done. You guys deserve it. And I can't wait. Now we know that such thinking is horrid. And yet if we're honest, it's not hard to see how Jeremiah could have arrived at such a destination. And yet before the Lord, he could honestly declare that he has never found joy in pronouncing judgment. This brought him no delight. And this teaches us that we ought not to find any delight or joy in communicating the truths of hell and judgment. My friend, you know, hell should be something that moves us to tears. It should be something that shatters us. It should be something that motivates us to, to share the gospel. But, but we're very spiritually sick if we get pleasure or delight in pronouncing eternal judgment. That should make us happy. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't speak about it. We most certainly should. But it ought not to be something spoken about in a vindictive manner or with any kind of joy or delight attached to it. 
And we need to be concerned and burdened about the plight of our hard and hostile culture. Lesson number four, we should never tamper with the message. You know, we may manage to avoid quitting altogether, like we spoke about in a previous point. But there's another subtle temptation as we seek to impact a hostile culture. And that's tampering with the message and morals of the Bible, attempting to make it more palatable. Now, this tampering can vary in extremes. Okay, on one side, there's a blatant denial of what the Bible clearly teaches. So I know that the Bible doesn't say abortion or homosexuality is wrong. That the, it doesn't say that hell is real. It, it doesn't matter how you live. Okay, you, you can have your truth. I have my truth. I've got my way. You've got your way. Okay, that, that's all okay. Okay, that, that's, that's quite obvious. And yet we can also do this in more subtle ways. And not include everything that's involved in the gospel. We may withhold the sinner part or withhold the hell part. We may say things like, well, you know, this is what I think, but, you know, I may not mean that. You know, we're trying to, to water it down. Or, or we could say, well, the Bible does say that, but that was for that particular culture. It could be different today. Or, you know, or we twist scripture to make things more acceptable. Okay, so th there are some subtle ways that we need to be aware of this in our lives. It can be a temptation for us to tamper with the male. But it's important to understand that it's our job as Christians to deliver the mail and not write it. You know, imagine if you looked out your front window and the postman or post lady had opened the letter, okay, your personal letter, they had their pen out and they were scrubbing it out and they were beginning to edit it. Okay, you would be furious, wouldn't you? Okay, and yet this is what we do when we tamper with God's message. Notice what Jeremiah says in verse 16. He says, Thou knowest that which came out of my lips was right before thee. In other words, Lord, I told them exactly what you told me. I didn't change the message. I didn't alter the message. I didn't try to make it more palatable. I didn't apply excessive seasoning to alter how it tastes. You know, and understand when Jeremiah was under fire from, from all directions, okay, when he was peppered with the bullets of mockery, Okay, he, he would have known that this could all be removed if he tampered with the message. Okay, if he watered it down slightly, if he seasoned it with some hope and some grace, if he stopped talking about judgments, and th that wouldn't be too hard to rationalize in one's mind. It's okay, if, if the people weren't so antagonistic towards me, that they would listen more. So, so why don't I change the message slightly? Okay, get them so they're not so hostile that they begin to listen to me. And, and then, you know, I can incorporate a little bit more judgment slowly and steadily. And yet he never did this. He never diluted the message. He stayed faithful to what the Lord had given to him, although it wasn't received well. And ultimately, this was the reason his life was so hard. And this is a great example for us. We should never alter the message. We should never dilute the gospel. We should never tamper with the morals of the Bible. Never present God as something that he's not. We don't possess the authority to interfere with the message. Okay, we're the male men, the male women. We simply deliver what has already been written. Okay, we don't write the mail, nor should we tamper with it. It's not our role to make things more palatable.
Now, sure, we, we need to be sensitive. We need to be gracious. We need to be loving in how we communicate. Okay, that there's a more palatable way to communicate, and we should do that, but we should never tamper with the message. Okay, that's not the answer to have an impact in a hostile and hard-hearted culture. And lesson number five uh, is commit it all to the Lord. Now, this lament of Jeremiah comes in the context of the people of Judah trusting in man. If you look at verse five, it says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And then verse 7 says, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. And here, in our text for tonight, Jeremiah is committing the situation to the Lord. He doesn't seek to deal with it himself through revenge or vengeance, but rather he pours his heart out to the Lord. He practiced what the Apostle Peter would later write, cast your cares on the Lord, for he careth for you. And we see his dependence on the Lord in verse 14. He cries out that, you know, Lord, heal me. He, he pleads for salvation. Okay, this is not in the New Testament sense of the term, okay, what, what we think of with salvation. But the idea is deliverance from an enemy or an opponent. And he realizes that he needs the Lord. And here he commits his problems to the Lord. Okay, so far so good. But then we come to verse 18. Okay, verse 18 says, let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. Okay, so this verse probably doesn't sit that well with us. Okay, he pleads with the Lord to deal with those who are persecuting him. Okay, he says, Please judge them. Deal with them. We would have preferred to hear, okay, forgive them. You know, like Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. But Jeremiah had a very different request. Okay, and what are we to make of this request and others throughout the Bible that plead for the Lord to avenge them? Okay, how are we to understand this? Okay, I want to share with you two quotes okay, from commentators that I think are helpful. Okay, so quote number one, and this is a longer quote, but he says, and I quote, stepping back from the stress and emotions of Jeremiah's outburst, we have to ask if such a desire, okay, verse 18, is appropriate. If we can lift it from being a simple cry for revenge, then we can locate it theologically within a proper desire that God should vindicate his own name and character by acting justly by defending those who are falsely accused and putting down the wicked. This, after all, is what countless biblical texts affirm that God does do and will do. Why then does he not do it sooner? Now, the question is increasingly urgent as the persecution and suffering of believers all over the world grows in intensity and barbarity. Now, Peter would answer that God gives time to repent, space for grace, scope for hope. And faced with the mocking persistence of the wicked, including those who do us wrong, we should pray for them to repent and with Jesus pray for their forgiveness. Yes, but although the New Testament, as the old, emphatically prohibits believers from taking revenge and acting in retaliation, it equally emphatically affirms that in the end God will do justice. 
In some situations, it may not be inappropriate to affirm the retributive principle of Jeremiah 17.10, as even the Apostle Paul did in the case of one person who did him great harm. It is hard but not impossible to ask God to do justice while also asking him to be merciful and forgive. Both longings reflect essential truths of God's character. Okay, so such responses can be appropriate. But, but the key is this. Okay, it's not a personal vendetta. But rather, it, it is the desire that God's name would be honored and glorified. Okay, but often God does not unleash justice instantly. Okay, why? Well, as the writer said, because he's giving time to repent, space for grace, scope for hope. Now, quote number two, and this one's much shorter, and I quote, The petition for retribution is more than a self-centered cry for revenge. Jeremiah also speaks for those who suffered derision on account of their faithfulness to God. Jeremiah's cry for vengeance is thus a cry that justice should prevail, that the righteous be vindicated and that the wicked be thwarted. In other words, the prophet pleads that God would act in character and not be indifferent to the plight of the needy. The prophet longs for the establishment of God's just rule. Okay, so such a, a cry like Jeremiah's can be appropriate. And we see this throughout scripture. But such times are never merely an unsatisfiable thirst for personal vengeance. It's not about self-vindification, but rather it's concerned about God's name and God's glory and justice being served. Okay, we could say it's motivated by God's vindication, not self-vindication, and there's a very big difference. Now, what's interesting is that the Lord doesn't answer Jeremiah. And that has led some scholars to speculate that this divine silence is to be understood as divine disapproval. Okay, that, that could be true, uh, but I'm not convinced of that interpretation because it seems that Jeremiah has done everything right so far in how he's dealt with this. He didn't take things into his own hand, but he committed it to the Lord. Okay, and this is what we need to do when we're faced with mockery and ridicule. Okay, when we're mocked, when we're ridiculed, okay, it hurts. Okay, it's normal for it to hurt when we're on the receiving end of scorn, being picked on, being excluded. It, it attacks all of our insecurities. It, it wounds us. But in such times, okay, remember that we serve a God who knows what it's like to be mocked and ridiculed. Because Jesus Christ experienced this in a far greater way than we ever will. And with him, it was completely unjust. It was completely unfair. And hence, he knows what you're feeling. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to encourage you. He loves you. He's sympathetic to you. And he so identifies with you that when you are being ridiculed and mocked, he's ridiculed and mocked with you. Okay, okay, we learned that with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Okay, Jesus is with you. He's for you. Okay, this is our savior. And hence, we need to come to him for help. Cast our cares on him. He, he will bear them for you. And he will apply the balm to your wounds. He will infuse you with, with the courage that you need to continue on. And it's because of him that we can continue to engage 
with the hostile culture. He gives us all that we need to do it. And he is our motivation to continue on. Because he's worth far more than anything we may be called to endure. Because if Jesus was willing to endure unfathomable ridicule and scorn for you and for me, then we too ought to be willing to endure for him. And hence, don't give up. Pray, persevere for Christ's sake and in his strength. Don't allow the hostile culture to defeat you. But by God's grace, persevere for Christ and with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you uh, for this uh, portion of scripture and what it has to teach us uh, about uh, engaging uh, the culture uh, that we live in. And uh, Lord, please help us to, to be uh, faithful and diligent in the uh, call that you have uh, entrusted to, to each and every one of us. And uh, Father, help us to, to apply uh, the, the lessons from your word this night. Please keep us safe uh, as we travel home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.